Hey, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors on staff and excited to be able to wrap up our series called Future Family. Uh, but before I do that, I want to give a shout out to the Encounter Band. Can we give a shout out to them? Um, as a former, of course, in college, before I went into seminary, I was a music education and performance major. Specifically, brass was my niche. A lot of people hear that I was a music major. Oh, so you can play guitar? No. Um, oh, you can play piano? No. Oh, you can sing? No, not necessarily. <laughs> Just brass playing. But I realized that when you go to that, com you know, that concert, the symphony or the orchestra, you get an, an hour of performance. You know, there are countless hours that happen before that, right? And our band, from the guys in the back that are not on stage to the guys that are on stage, they work really hard. And when I came in this morning, I thought, wow, this wasn't an epiphany. I know it every single week. I'm like, they're good. They're just really good. And, and they're using their talents that God's given them to not, to not just play music, but to lead us, right, in, in these songs that reflect the heart of God. And we're able to express ourselves. And we're able to express our worship um, in, through music to God. Um, and really, it, it, it really helps when they're really good right? And so thank you guys for all of your incredible hard work. Those that are on the stage and those that are off the stage, I know they work hard. Um, breaking a rule today, I have a little bit of water, but I've had a um, little bit of a cold the last couple of days, and so if my voice cuts out, it's not because I'm still growing, it's because I have a cold. Um, and so I have a little bit of water up here, but uh, hopefully won't, won't spill it. But uh, I'm excited to, to be with you today uh, to wrap up this series on future family. And last week, Chris Gray gave an incredible message. And the question that I remember, and I think if those of you that were here last week, you may remember this incredibly profound question that he mentioned halfway through. And halfway through, he, he asked the question of what will break through relationships and what will break through barriers is, is when one person goes to another. Anyone remember these five words? How can I help you? Isn't that great? And I remember at times going to my wife this week when I didn't ask, right? I'm like, you know, I probably need to ask, how can, I, how can I help you? And I love that question that breaks through relationships. That's not just powerful for a, a, a husband to a wife or a, a parent to a child, but that's an incredibly powerful question in any relational dynamic, uh, in and outside the home, in and out of the workplace. This week, we're going to kind of take the next step and, and look at the, the idea of discipline in the family. And the idea of discipline is very hard, especially when I stand up here having two children, one six years old and one four-year-old, right? And for those of you that have already raised children and they're in and out of the home, you could easily think, oh, you're not done yet, right? What do you have to say about it? Well, I remember being a youth pastor, and I, I wanted to do everything I can as a student pastor at the high school and middle school students to encourage and to resource the parents, and really to help the family, because I didn't exist just to help a 13-year-old. We, we existed in the church as a, as a pastor to help the family, right? Not for, just for those that are married now, but for those that want to be married. If you're single, today has an incredible message just for you, and, and for your life, and for as you prepare and look forward. But I remember doing a parenting class, and I didn't have kids yet. What business do you have teaching a parenting class and you've never had a kid, right? Well, the, the, the incredible thing about the Word of God is that it is the authority. Today, I'm going to give you some, some thoughts of my own experience. Today, I'm going to give you some, some of what I've learned. But really, what I give you most of all is what God has to say. And what God has to say trumps anything that I could say in and of myself. Now, with that said, you only learn... Um, by doing sometimes, right? You can learn in the classroom, right? It, it's helpful to sit in the classroom. If you were to sit in the classroom and talk about marriage, you may learn some helpful tips, but nothing helps about learning marriage until you what? Until you get married. And I know, having coming up on our 11 years, I know now what there's no way I would have known a year ago. I know now what there's no way I would have known 11 years ago. And there's really no way that I would have known 12, 13 years ago because I haven't done it yet. So with all that said, coming to this message, today's not a how-to message on parenting. Today's not a how-to. It easily could be. I could give you the steps that are helpful in the home whenever you discipline, right? And I could give you the how-to steps, and I could point you to different websites. I could list different books. We could just put it on the app. We could say, hey, here's so many incredible resources that can help you on how to discipline your children in a way that honors God. But today's not a how-to on, on, on discipline, but it's more the heart of discipline. 
Because I believe how you discipline and what you do will overflow based upon what's happening on the inside of your heart. Now, because of that reality, some of this could be subjective. How do you change the heart of discipline? Well, it's really the, the disciplinarian. What the disciplinarian does to the one being disciplined matters, right? And the how-to is important and the steps and what you've learned. So many of you today, that those of you that have raised kids, you could say, yeah, I could tell you how not to, right? Because I've made some mistakes and, and I've said things I shouldn't have said. And I've, I've had, in my family, we say haughty eyes because the Bible says that there's a lot of evil in haughty eyes. You know those angry faces, you're just ready to explode, you know? When there's these little things that we do and don't do in the Hodges household. I could give you some of those that could be helpful. Some of the things that I've done that have not been right. Some of the things that I've done that have been right. But really, I want to open up the scripture and look at the heart of it. What's the heart of a disciplinarian? Because at the end of the day, you as a mom and you as a dad, and if you're single and not married yet, one day if you have children, you want to be a good disciplinarian, don't you? Don't you want to lead your children? But here's the question before we get in. Why? Why, why do we discipline? What's the purpose? Some of you respond to that question and say, well, why not? Why would you not discipline, right? Why, why would you discipline your children? And in life group this week, those of you that are engaged in the life group, I hope that maybe this is one of the questions that you'll ask your group. Why do we discipline? Why? Now, inherent in man, most people would argue, is an inherent sense of what is right and an inherent sense of what is wrong. You can take a next step further and say there is an inherent sense of what is good in life and there is a sense of what is evil. And the option for you in parenting and what you want to guide them towards is easy, right? We want them to be good. We don't want them to be evil. We want them to do what is right, not what is wrong. That is why we discipline because we want a child who doesn't have the understanding sometimes of what is right and what is wrong. We want them to do what's right. That's why we discipline. But it's so subjective. Because how I discipline is very different than you. And for some of you in here, you can say, well, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, I, I believe in God, and I want to parent the way God wants me to parent. Some of you may be exploring faith, and you're like, well, I, I, I discipline, yeah, and, and I want what's right for my children. So it doesn't matter if you believe in God or don't believe in God. You want what's right for your children, right? And you want what is good for your children, not what is evil for your children. But there's, there's, three, there's three, three, three things here I want to talk about. Number one is this. There is discipline with the child at the center, and there's discipline with the parent is at the center, and then there's this idea of God being the center of the discipline. Today we're going to talk about those. But here's a summary I want to start with. Check out this. This will be on the screen. The goal of discipline, the goal of the Christian parent, is not to seek goodliness, but godliness in their children. Read that to yourself again as I read it. The goal of the Christian parent is not to seek goodliness, but godliness in their children. Do you only want what's good for your children, or do you want them to be like God? And then an incredible difference, isn't it? Now, you can be good and have God-like qualities, right? And be pleasing to God. But there's also a sense that you can be good without God. There's a, a, a theologian that once said this. Um, sometimes Christians treat non-believers like they can't be good. It's not true, right? They can be good. Why? Because Tully and Shavijan said this, all people, this is what the Bible says, and we, I believe this, I, I don't know if you believe this, all people were made in the image of God, right? There are people today that do not have a relationship with God. They're, they would say, hey, I'm an atheist, but they're doing good in the world, right? And they're giving an incredible amount of money to incredible organizations, and they're giving their lives for, for really to, to do good on the, in, in this world. So it's possible to parent goodly children and still have God not be absent in the home. So you could take this one of two ways. If you're not a follower of Christ and you say, well, I, I want what's good for my children. There's nothing wrong with wanting what's good for your children. There's nothing wrong with doing what's right for your children, right? But some of you want to take the next step. I don't just want good children. I want them to know God. Would some of you say that? A lot of you are shaking your head like, yeah, that's what I want. I don't want goodly children. I want godly children. I want what's more. If they're good, that's what you want, right? Don't you want them to grow up and marry well? Pick a spouse that has integrity. Pick a spouse that works hard, right? 
Pick a spouse that's faithful, that's diligent, that's sacrificial, that's humble. You want all that. Don't you want them to go to a good school? You want them to graduate that good school? You want them to get a good job? You want them to save well? Some of you have these, these values. One of my great values that I want to extend to my children or some of the things that I've seen my family do that I want them to do. I want them to pass down, right? I want to see a legacy created. And some of the things, we could all say this, I want for my children are things that I did not see in my family. You have all these ideas and these, these dreams and these passions for your children. You can want good and not want God. But some of you would say today, I, I want more than good. Good is good, and I want good. I don't want the next step. I want them to know God. And when a child learns to do what is good and knows God, guess what that is? It's poured out from their heart because they know God and they're doing good. And it becomes a godly attribute. It becomes a godly character. Is that what you want for your children? So much of me, even thinking about this the last couple of weeks and preparing this week, I'm, I'm humbled to stand here and talk on this topic because I have struggled greatly in discipline. I, sometimes I don't have a clue on what to do. Why? No one prepares you for this, right? No one prepares you when you get a phone call. This has never happened to me. No one prepares you when you get a phone call and say, your son kicked a karate teacher. No one prepares you what to do. I'm like, hey, it's karate. I mean, what are you supposed to do, right? No one prepares you for that. I'm like, okay, what, what, what book resource can I find? Oh, how, how do I handle this, son? It's karate. You're supposed to fake kick, not real kick. I mean, I'm sure that they probably said that. He just didn't hear that. He has so much energy, right? No one prepares you. And we could all fill the, fill the rest of the hour together and tell these stories of what you've gone through. And that's a funny one that we have plenty of not so funny stories, right? No one prepares you for this. What, what do I do? You feel so lost and you feel so hopeless. There are so many how-tos out there that we could kind of latch on to. And, and, and there are so many people that you could go to as mentors to say, hey, listen, you've gone through this. Can you help me? I, I want to teach my children. And when I teach my children, I want more for them just, than just to do good. I, I want them to know God. What does that look like? How, how do I do this? How do I do this? It's a struggle. And I stand today to, to read to you um, a passage of Scripture where God gives a command and God gives a call out. And I hope it's encouraging. I hope it's helpful to you. And I hope it means a lot. I hope it's something that you can take away. So first, check this out. I mentioned to you parent-centered discipline. I mentioned to you the child-centered. And then I mentioned to you God-centered. Which one would you want? You want the God-centered, right? You want to make sure that when we discipline, that there's a central idea and a theme of God. But check this out. When parenting goes wrong, this is often what we do. Parent-centered discipline responds and says these three things. Number one is this. You've embarrassed me. Who's guilty? Anybody? Yeah, you've embarrassed me, right? That there's a disciplined response because you're embarrassed, right? And th this is when it just kind of goes wrong. This is our natural tendency, my tendency. Got plenty of stories here. Not just when you kick the karate teacher, but when you say things you ought not to say, right? Um, and especially when they repeat something you've said. You're like, hey, you shouldn't say that. You told me. <laughs> you know, like, oh, no, you heard me say that? That's never happened to me. I'm just trying to connect with my audience, you know, because <clears throat> I'm a pastor, right? We, we don't say things like that, whatever that is. Okay, you've embarrassed me. That is, the, I think, it's one of the number one reactionary things that we do in discipline. We respond because they, the child, has done something that's embarrassed us. Check out the second one. You've upset me. The bottom line is, something's happened inside of your heart, inside of your mind, you just get mad. You just get mad, right? These are easy tendencies, aren't they? You've embarrassed me, now you've upset me, I'm just mad, right? And, and some of these are, are, are for good reason, right? Some of the things in discipline we just kind of laugh at, some of the things we just get really upset because it's embarrassing, right? But then we go to the next level, here's the third one, it's so dangerous, here's another series that we should probably just tackle on another day. You failed to meet my expectations. This is our tendency in a parent-centered, disciplined world where the child is not the center of it, but we are, right? You're embarrassed, you're mad, and this one, all too often, you fail to meet my expectations. How many stories do you have, parents, right, of this one? When you've given the expectation, you've told them what they should do, you've told them what they 
should not do, and you give them these warnings, right? If you do these things, here is what will happen to you. But when it happens, meaning something that requires discipline, and here's what I mean by discipline. When you correct, anything that you do to give correction, I'm not saying that there's a form of discipline that needs to be, but that's your, your, your choice as a parent, right? That's your responsibility to form. What does discipline look like in our home? Anytime you correct your children, when there's a parent-centeredness, it happens inside the home, it's dangerous. And that's when our emotions get wrapped up in it. And I could, like you probably, hear each of these and go, number one, guilty. Number two, really guilty. <laughs> number three, I'm guilty of that too. You failed to meet my expectations. Because we have this idea of what you should do, right? And whenever the child does not do it, we get upset. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm so guilty of treating sometimes my children like they're adults. Because I, I think that they should act like adults, right? Don't you love the pre-restaurant speech? Anybody? Listen, we're going inside. If you raise your voice among, you know, above this decibel level, you're going to the bathroom. What are we going to do in the bathroom? Wait and see. You know, it's like, I don't know you. We just, we say, listen, here's the expectation. You better do it. And we get wrapped up. And I tell you, some of the lowest moments of my life as a parent in really the last six years is when I'm at the center of it. I'm just mad because they didn't do what I wanted them to do. And you know what I have forgotten? I've forgotten about them. I've forgotten about their heart. And sometimes I even forget about what they did wrong. And you, just get, you just get mad. And you just respond in anger and frustration. And at the end of the day, when I lay my head at the pillow, I just think, I'm selfish. I'm just selfish. They didn't live up to my expectations, right? It was embarrassing. It's discouraging. There's nothing wrong with these emotions, by the way. They're perfectly normal. You get upset because your child did something they shouldn't have done. Sure. Yeah, you're disappointed that they failed to meet the expectations, of course. And I know that doesn't happen once, um, that doesn't end once they hit 18, right? There are parents that are well into their 50s and the 60s that are still so disappointed with the direction of their children's lives that are now adults too. I know a parent lives with this because you have these dreams and these ideas for your children and you want what's best for them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with those dreams and those aspirations and those hopes, right? But it's way, way, way too often we make it all about us. And we, when we make it all about us, no matter what you do for correction in your home, no matter what you do for discipline in your home, it's with the wrong heart because we're at the center of it. Make sense? And when we're at the center of it, no one's happy, right? We're not, and they're not. But then there's child-centered discipline. The child-centered discipline, I really wanted to sum up with, with this question that Chris asked last week. How do you make discipline about the child? Well, you're like, that's a kind of a silly question. Because when you correct a child, it is all about them. It's about the decision that they made, the choice that they made, and we're simply course-correcting. Hey, listen, you know, this is the expectation. You didn't meet the expectation, therefore whatever you do to correct, right? And you're not, you're not embarrassed, you're not upset, you're not being selfish, you're just focusing on the child. But, but I love this question, and I want you to take this one home with you from last week, built into this week's series, is to ask the question, how can I help you to your child? Because you realize that they need help. And sometimes, and, and I remember um, something I read several years ago that kind of marked the way I looked at my children and so, and I remember basically the article saying this, sometimes the child doesn't need discipline, they need leadership. They just need to be led. Sometimes they don't need correction, they just don't know. And sometimes it's a silly example, right? They just don't know that you don't go up to someone that's not like you and say things like whatever, fill in the blank. Several years ago, a couple years ago, my son, he was four at the time, this one did happen because I just told you it happened. <clears throat> he goes up to a lady. She's, um, she's a Muslim, and she's um, covered. It's in the heat of the day. He doesn't understand, right? <laughs> and so I see him going up to her. I'm like, I have that, oh, no, what's he going to do moment. But I'm not going to go up to him, hey, hey, hey. No, because I want him to be kind. I want him to talk. I want him to conversate, you know. And so he goes, he, he goes right up to her, starts playing with the children. I'm like peacefully looking over there every now and then. Okay, okay. He's just playing, you know. And so I'm like, I'm kind of nervous for Josiah. What's he going to say? And he looks up. He goes, hi Ninja! I'm like, oh, no! 
What did you say? I come running up to her. I said, I'm so sorry. He doesn't understand. She goes, no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> and she bends down in his face and says, honey, I'm not a ninja. And it was just this moment where, did, did he need correcting? Yes. Did he need disciplining? No. He just needed to be led. He just needed to be taught. And sometimes you see this, and there's these moments, I'm sure plenty of parents could say that about my parenting. Sometimes you see parents, they're riled up, like it's in public, like you're at a public place, and you're like, I don't think the kid did anything wrong. They just don't know any better. And I, I, I'm teaching myself here, right? Sometimes I just need to remember that my four-year-old does not understand. And Josiah, he, he, he was not disciplined for that. He was corrected and he was taught. And I, I explained to him about the, the garment and their beliefs and said, not, not all people wear that. And here's why she wears that. Oh, okay. I said, so next time you see someone, you can you know, go up, be kind, speak to them, but don't do the ninja thing, okay? <laughs> he says, okay, daddy. Next time we see her at the park, I'm like, don't say anything like ninja, just go speak to her. And so we saw her a couple weeks later and continued to speak with her. She was a neighbor of ours down the street. He just didn't know. And so a child-centered discipline focuses on their need, not our frustration, right? Not our anger. And sometimes it's so powerful. Like that question last week, we just go up to our child, or at least we think this, because sometimes they can't verbally tell you, right? What do you need, honey? Oh, I asked my son that one time, and he said, I said, son, what can I do to help you? You can brush my teeth. I mean... Okay. I'm like, well, why? Brush, well, I can't brush your teeth. You need to learn to brush your teeth. He doesn't know how to typically respond to that, right? But what if you always thought that about your child? What do they need from me today? Sometimes it's for you to put down the computer and sit on the floor and just play, right? Sometimes it's, hey, let's go outside. What do they need from you? And in the moment where they do something that's embarrassing, or they do something that's absolutely ridiculous, or they do something to directly disobey what you've told them to do. And you're in that moment of discipline. You're in that moment of correction to ask the question, what do they need from me? Or if they can conversate with you, they're 12, 13, 14, how can I help you? I can't say anything goes, <laughs> but close to anything. What, what, what do you need? How can I help you? And you start thinking about them being the center, right? And you forget about you, you forget about your missed expectations, and you simply wonder with the child, how can I help them? There's a moment in history that some of you may know the story where um, God pulled his people that were in bondage for a long time out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they go into a land and begin to wander for years so for 40 years that they, they wandered and God had told them that he was going to pull them out of slavery. God had made a promise to them that he was going to put them into a land, in a land that was incredibly fruitful, a land that was their own, a land where they could go and be safe and not be in slavery, a land where they could go and not be attacked from enemies on all sides. And he made this promise to them. But just before they enter into this promised land, God's people, the Israelites, God had a few words for them. And that's where I want to kind of interject this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's towards the beginning of the Bible. It'll be on the screen. It'll also be uh, in the app. If you have the Encounter Church app, you can read the text from there. But found in Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to hit a pause on parent and child discipline before we get to God-centered discipline and, and, and read something to you that is incredibly profound. One of the most quoted Bible verses um, on the planet today is actually Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Um, and it's not just because of Christians, but because of Jews as well. The Jews uphold uh, verse 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. I'm going to read this to you. Check it out on the screen. We'll read the first three verses. Um, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now just before God's people enters the promised land, God gives them a reminder and in fact, if you do kind of a, kind of a cool biblical search for in the Old Testament, 
all the way starting back in Genesis, leading up to the New Testament, one of the most common things that God says to his people, do you know what it is? I, I love this. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember, as a parent, do you remember, or as a child, do you remember hearing that? Hey, don't forget, because we forget. As a parent, you tell your children, don't, don't forget, right? A parent showers their child with all these blessings and gifts or whatever it is, and you're like, hey, the next day, they act like they don't have anything. Did you forget? You know, right? One of God's most common themes that when he calls out people, he calls them out, is when they've forgotten because it's easy to forget. And you know what was on God's heart here? He shows what's on his heart, is that his people would forget him. Because 40 years ago, you know what he did 40 years ago from when this was stated right now? 40 years ago, you know what he did? He took his people out of Egypt. And you know how he did that? He did some incredible miracles. Some of you may know the story of the plagues that he sent over Egypt. Some of you may know the story of the parting of the Red Sea, right? 40 years have passed. Let me ask you a question. Is 40 years long enough to forget? Oh, yeah. Some of you would think, well, I wouldn't forget. I was 14 years old when that happened. And you have a 54-year-old man sitting here listening. Oh, yes, God, Yahweh. Like, he's our God. I remember all those things, right? And it's so easy to forget. But guess who doesn't know? The children of that now 54-year-old man, they don't know. They don't know God. They don't. And so one of the things that was on God's heart was that, that the future generations would not remember him. And we can trace back in American history and see the change of the spiritual landscape, can't we? We can go in our city and see some of the monuments that were hundreds of years ago, some of the town monuments in the city of Boston where God's name is anchored into the walls, right? And you can trace the generations and you can see how the spiritual landscape in many ways has distanced itself from God in so many ways. We forget and the responsibility is to not forget because God says, hey, listen, don't forget all the things that I've done for you because God wants a relationship. And so I love verse, verse 2. Verse 2, if you can put that on the screen again, it says this, that you may fear the Lord. Now, verse 1 is all about the rules and the statutes. Hey, I got these laws, right? Now, the laws without the love is not cool, right? Just like parenting. Some of you had home, you grew up in homes where it was all about the rule and you didn't feel any love. Is that a home you want to stay in? No. It's not just the rules and the statutes and the law, right? But it's a love relationship. Look at verse 2, that you may fear the Lord. This is why the, 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 the rules and the laws and the statutes exist is so that we may know God that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. You, your sons, and your son's sons, right? God has a heart that each and every single generation know him. Not just your parents' generation, but yours. Not just your generation, but the next generation. And not just the next generation, but you want the generations that that are still here once you're gone, to know the same God that you do. And so God is making this declaration to pass down him. And whose responsibility is it? It's ours. Look at verse 4 with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This command here was given to parents, Right? I think that when the command was given by Moses, it would be given to anyone who would listen, right? All of God's people would hear the command, hey, listen, when we go into this land, don't forget who took you out of your former land. When you go into this new land, don't forget the miracles you saw. When you go into this land, don't forget all the gods who used to be worshipped, who are, no, who are not gods. Just remember the one God. And who is he saying this to? Parents. Because he says, you, your sons, and your son's son. 
Don't let them forget. And so in verse 4, 5, 6, 7, we see this declaration to parents. And we see this commandment to parents to pass down God to their children. And I, and I love how he says it. It's not necessarily in, go, hey, make sure you take them to church, which is, by the way, great. Talk to someone that's pretty frequent around here, a common response why people go back to church that are not regularly in church is because th this, this very thing we're talking about, they have this longing desire for their children to know who God is. Just over a month ago, I talked to a first-time guest and said, listen, I gotta, I gotta be honest, I, I'm, I'm not really in church a lot, I don't really know about God, but I just want this for my children. And I looked at them, and they were kind of like ashamed to tell me that. I said, I think that's awesome. There's something that's inside of your heart that wants what's right for them. And you see that it's beyond just being a good citizen, right? It's, it's beyond just doing right and marrying someone well and having a good job and saving well, right? Or having a good retirement. It's beyond good. And, it, and it's that God, there's this wiring inside of our hearts. And some of you can feel this inside of your heart where you're discovering God for the first time. There's this inner burning desire inside of you to know who God is. There's this inner burning desire inside of you for your children to know who he is. And guess what he says here? Here are the things that you're to do. Verse four says this, the Lord our God is one. The first declaration given to all of God's people, but specifically here the responsibility is to teach your children that there's one God. One God. There's not two, there's not three, there's not four, there's one God. Hear, O Israel, all the Israelites, all of God's people, there's one God. And he loves you. And I love it. We trace history from this moment on and we see there's a man named Jesus who was God, right? And what did he do? He died on the cross for all of humanity. The Bible teaches not just for the Israelites, right? But for all of humanity. And the Bible says anyone, anyone, anyone who would recognize Jesus as God and confess their sin to God, who's a holy God, can be saved. And we look back at this moment and we see this teaching that God gives the people of Israel. And he says, hey, remind your children that there's one God. That's the first thing. The next few verses, I love how it rolls out here, but the next few verses, we see this instruction in verse 6 or verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And I love this. As you do these things, you shall talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. What does that mean? It sounds like it's saying this all the time. Let God be a presence in your home. And you know what? You may, not be, you, you may not be a Bible scholar. That's okay. I'm not a Bible scholar. I've studied this book for a long time. I have a few degrees in it. I'm no Bible scholar. I'm not sitting at home just because I'm a pastor. We get up at 6 a.m. We have this Bible study. We do Hebrew. Then we do Greek. No, 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 no. What, what, I, what I do in my home is that a, a, an overflow of what God is doing inside of me. And it's as simple sometimes as going down the road. I remember when uh, Josiah was two years old, and I looked at a beautiful sunset, because I don't believe that the world just happened. I believe that there was a creator. And I remember looking and saying in the back seat, I said, Josiah, do you see that sunset? And he looked, he said, yeah, I see it. It was almost three. I said, guess who colored it? And he said, God. I said, you're right, God colored it. It's him. That's just talking about God inside the home. I'm not asking you to go home and teach a Bible study to your children, though I think it would be great for, for, for men and women inside the home to, to, to lead and to teach. And that's, that is the instruction. It's our responsibility to lead our children. But sometimes it's just as simple as talking about God in your home. And you may not know what to say. Half the time, I don't know what to say. But I want God to fill my heart, and I want God to fill my home. So what does this look like in discipline? Again, I remind you, this wasn't a how-to on discipline. I think there could be a lot of good sermons on how-to. Here are the things that we've done. Here are the things that, that I think the Bible would teach and give wisdom on. There's a ton of resources out there. And by the way, if, if you want a how-to on discipline, I know some good resources. Before you leave, stop by Starting Point. I'll be there. I'll get your email. I'll send you some great how-tos, some great things that I have read. There's some incredible Christian based resources out there on how to discipline your children in a way that honors God. But remember, this is more the heart of discipline. 
It's dangerous when the parent is at the center of the discipline because we've, we, remember, we're embarrassed, we're upset, and you, you fail to meet my expectations. The child being at the center totally changes the heart of the discipline. Remember, the child being at the center, we're more focused on meeting their needs. We're more saying and looking at our children and saying, what does my child need for me to help them? What does it look like when there's a God-centered discipline? What's the heart of that? And the heart of that I want to show you here on the screen. Check out the first one. God-centered discipline responds and says this, God loves you just like I do. Part of the challenge, and we'll keep this one up here for a few minutes, part of the challenge of discipline is the restoration process, right? I said, okay, you're mad because you're being disciplined. I'm mad because of what you did. And the relationship can pull. I'm learning to do this. There are some things that I have done. I could tell for probably 24 hours the distance was here. It didn't matter what I said or what I did. I know I did not respond in a, in a, in a way that was right or appropriate. And the relationship kind of just does this. What do we do to restore? Any parent would say, I want to restore my children and remind them that I love them. Right? you got to figure out a way to do that. How do, I, how do I let you know that in spite of what you have done, in spite of you kicking the karate teacher, I still love you. You kicking a karate teacher does not change anything about the way I feel about you, right? How do you restore them back to a love relationship? we got to figure out a way to do that. But in a God-centered discipline home, you say, I want them to know who God is, and it's as simple as this. In any and every opportunity you have, you have to remind them that God loves them just as much as you do. One of the things that I've whispered to my boys in their six and four years is right after I pray for them, I whisper this in their ears. I want you to know that daddy loves you with all of his heart and God loves you even more. About six months ago, my child's intellect is increasing by the day, by the moment. He goes, no, wait a second. Does that mean you love me less? <laughs> I'm like, no. Okay, maybe I got to change the wording, right? <laughs> so you love me less than God. No, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Maybe I need to change it. My point is this. To both of my boys, I said, no, 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 no. I, I love you. I just want you to know that God loves you even more than I could ever imagine. And nothing you can do. And I tell you, some of the tough moments when I just whisper to him and them as, as my little boys, I remind them in their ears that, hey, listen, no matter what, you can't do anything, anything to take away God's love for you. You know why so many people are distant from God today? It's because of guilt and because of shame. They don't feel like they can approach God. They, and you know what? I've heard people that are interested in God, but they won't darken the doors of a church. They won't darken the doors of any environment. It's not because they're not interested. They are interested. They feel ashamed and they feel guilty. Well, you know what the Bible teaches? And you know what I think common sense sees? We are all guilty there's not one person, the 7 billion people on the planet today, that could stand in front of a God who is perfect and be right. Because all of us, the Bible says this, all of us have fallen short. Meaning this, all of us have sinned. We're born into a sinful world. Every single one of us. How do I teach my children in discipline that nothing you can do, nothing can change God's love for you? It does not decrease. It does not increase. God loves you because he loves you. And discipline's hard. You know why? Because when someone's disciplined, you feel like, how could you do this to me? And I remember being, being a 90-degree angle all my life to my mom, meaning when I was about to get a spanking, okay? Just 90-degree angle. And I remember, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I remember, what in the world does that mean? Right? Well, and, and I get it now. I, I, I totally understand it in my heart. Like, I got it from a maybe multiple choice thing in high school. Okay, I, I get it. But no, I really understand as a parent, I have to discipline you because I want you to do what's right. And you need to be reminded of what's wrong. You know, the Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. And he loves you. But there's a discipline, not just from a parent, there's a discipline from God because he loves you. But even in the pain of the consequence it does not change the love. Your child needs to know that God loves them. That's what they need to hear. And you know what's happening right now? For those of you that have entrusted your children to us, you know that's one of the absolute core values of what's happening, especially one of the things that they hear most from birth to five-year-old is that God loves you. It's one of the themes of the curriculum. I mean the major themes. We need to tell these children that God loves them. 
those that feel love inside their home, and those that don't feel love inside their home. There's a, there's a neighbor in, in our community. Every now and then, the, 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 the children will come rally at our, at our home. And I remember, you know, there's a child that uh, is pretty, pretty constant in, into trouble. And I remember his cousin was visiting and said, and, and she said this out loud to him, she, or to me, about him. She goes, he's always really bad, and he knows it. I thought, no, that's not what a child needs to hear. And I just bent down to her. I said, listen, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. He makes mistakes. We just got to love him. He's your cousin. You know, and I just told this little seven-year-old, you got to love your cousin. And don't ever let him hear you say that because some people start to believe it. You tell your child that God loves them, they'll start to believe it. And the more they do to separate themselves from you, tell them more. The more they do to separate themselves, at least in their own sense, from God, tell them more. They need to hear that God loves them. And you need to say, just like me, I don't care what you do, nothing you can do. I remember putting my boys down and walking out after hard days and just crying, just thinking, God, I I know it doesn't feel like I love them sometimes, and I act like I don't love them sometimes, but I need them to know that I love them. How do I do this? How how do I walk out of this room and walk out of this home and one day when they walk out of my home and they know that dad loves them? That's what they need. My biological father uh, left when I was really young and I got to know him as an adult. And I remember one day thinking that my dad didn't love me because he left. Not knowing that the circumstances, he was young, right? Not understanding and I don't want that for my children. I know my dad loves me now. My biological father, my stepdad, they both love me. They've restored relationships. But I remember as a little child thinking, how could he leave? Your child needs to know that you love them and your child needs to be reminded and painstakingly repeated and believed that God loves them too. Here's the second one really quick. The second one is that God loves them just like I do. God will forgive you just like I will. God will forgive you just like I will. You know why your children need this? We all want forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. Now, this one's contingent. This one's hard. Because sometimes a child may do something, and there's absolutely no remorse. And I I, I don't know about you. That scares a parent. You're like, you are heartless. (laughs) And sometimes I just want to whisper, no, they're three. Right? And I know the, the affection of a child, of a small child, sometimes they feel the remorse. They immediately feel the pain. Sometimes they're just like, what? What are you going to do about it? I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And I don't care what you have to say. That's called human will. And you have it too. You might not say it to your spouse, but you're thinking it. You might not say it to your spouse, but you feel it. it's the human will that does what we want. But they need to understand, even though it's contingent, hey, listen, God wants to, God will forgive you, but you have to ask him. And sometimes it's as simple as saying a prayer, just saying, hey, do we need to ask forgiveness? Now, I always say to Josiah, they're pretty, they're pretty good at at doing this, and sometimes I can tell it's pretty fake, but nevertheless, they're learning it. I'll say, Josiah, you need to ask forgiveness. And I'll say, Levi, it's your choice to give it or not. Because I'm telling you, there are some mean, bitter people in this world. You know why? They have failed to forgive. We've got to learn forgiveness, and we've got, we got to learn what that means to just say it and practice it right now. Look at one child, hey, you need to ask forgiveness. And sometimes Josiah is like this, Levi, ask forgiveness now. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, that's not how it works. You'll learn that later. Please don't do that. Hey, if they don't ask forgiveness, you might not get it. They have to ask it, right? But your child needs to be reminded. In a God-centered discipline, no matter what happens, no matter what your discipline looks like, they need to be reminded, hey, listen, I'll forgive you, but you need to ask. And sometimes after that, we remember that they don't have a relationship with God yet. We want them to as they grow and as they gain a knowledge. Sometimes, this is what I'll do. Here's just maybe a how-to. I don't say, now ask God to forgive you. That might not turn out great. I think it's okay sometimes to say, we need to ask God to forgive us too. Maybe that's an okay thing to say, but for me, I fear pushing them towards God, pushing them towards making sure, hey, you need to make sure God's going to be angry at you unless you pray this prayer. No, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and it's really about 50-50. I'll say, hey, do you want to ask, ask God to help you and ask God to forgive you? Sometimes they'll say no. And I'll just say, let's pray. <laughs> you know? I just remember that they're children. And I want, I want them, they're, 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 their pastor, pushy dad. That's not me. I don't want that. 
And sometimes they'll say, yeah, and they'll pray the sweetest prayer. And even this morning, one of the prayers prayed at the breakfast table. I'll say, hey, do you guys want to pray? I never tell them, hey, it's your turn, pray. All right, I just do one of you guys want to pray? And one of the prayers was, God, help me have a really good day today at church. Help me have a really good day at baseball this afternoon. Help me to not do anything wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, that's a good start, right? Just let them pray, and I want them to know this. They can ask God to forgive them because God is always willing and able to forgive. That's why he died on the cross, to offer the forgiveness of sins. The last one is this. You've missed God's desire for you, and God has a different plan. You've missed God's desire for you, and God has a different plan. Now, in the correction and the discipline, remember, this is God-centered discipline. A God-centered discipline home simply reminds the child, not that they've missed, remember, mom and dad's expectations, by the way, you need to have your own expectations. You don't need me to tell you that, right? You need to have your own rules, your own house rules. Sometimes I may say, hey, no, not, not, not in the Hodges household, and I'll say this to, um, our, to my boys. I'll say, listen, in the Hodges household, we're going to be men of integrity. I'll say that to my boys, not to my wife, to be clear. Um, I'll say, listen, in the Hodges household, we're going to be men of integrity, which means always tell the truth. And if you ever lied, just say you lied. You know, if you are able to say that you lied and tell me quickly, you will not be punished for it, for confessing that you're wrong. You confess that you're wrong, you're free of it. And so just as I leave, you better hurry up and tell dad that you lied so you don't get in trouble. <laughs> I mean, they just know, hey, that's a household value. But what about God's value? It's not, it's not just important for me to tell them that this is what dad wants. Sometimes I'll just say, you know what, guys, not all the time, but I'll say, guys, God honors those who tell the truth. You know what, the Bible says that. I don't point them to the scripture and verse right now at six and four years old. Sometimes I may. But you know what, I also tell them, the Bible says that the tongue is a dangerous fire. The Bible says that. It's a beautiful picture. It's dangerous, man. You know this. The tongue can get you in trouble. One statement, you can lose your job. One statement, your spouse won't want to come home. One statement, your child may not say, but they feel like saying, well, I hate you. Like the, the wor words are so strong and words are so powerful. They need to hear, listen, that God has a different plan. Sometimes you may not know what to say, and I think that's okay, but they need to hear, listen, God has a, has a, a better desire for you. So this is what it does for the child. The child grows up with an acknowledgement that God has something for them. The child then grows up with, a, with, with this thought and with a desire that God has a plan for their life. Because let me tell you, parents, you have your own will, don't you? Children, they have their own will, right? They are going to do what they want to do, often when they want to do it. And God has his will too. God has a desire for you. If you're single, God has a, a, a desire for your life to matter and to count for God. If you're married, God has a desire for your marriage. God has this picture of what he wants for you. If you have children, what we're talking about today, God has a plan for their lives, and God wants them to know him. He wants that. And our children will never know that unless we remind them. So at every opportunity you have, remind your children that God loves them. Remind your children that God will forgive them and remind your children that God has a plan for their lives. As the worship team is coming and getting set, I want to close with uh, this thought. God-centered discipline. God-centered discipline. Remember, we're parent-centered discipline at times. We're child-centered discipline at times too. But God-centered discipline points children to God's love, forgiveness, and purpose for their life. Ultimately, the goal of the discipline, remember this statement from the very beginning, for the Christian parent is not to seek goodliness in their children, but godliness. That's what we want, don't we? Not just good children, but we want children that are good, that know who God is. Finally, the question I want to leave you with, what if parenting wasn't really about you and your children? What if parenting was really about God and his children? Think about that question. What if your parenting wasn't really about you and them, but it was about God and him? I have this responsibility to steward parenting well, because they're only mine. And inside the home, right, for 12 more years and 14 more years. 
And that number scared me because it seemed like yesterday it was 18, right? I have this responsibility to point them towards a God who loves them because they will. They make some of their own choices now. They will always make their own choices in the future days. And I want them to have God in their view. And it's my responsibility to kind of set the stage. So in discipline, I, I know you need how-tos. I, I know you need to learn from other people that have gone before you. And I need to learn from people that have gone before me because I'm learning a tremendous amount about discipline. But I do know this, that when we make it about us, it's not good. When we make it about the child, it's much better. When we make it about God, we give the incredible potential for his blessing on their life. Do you want his blessing or your blessing over them? We don't want just your blessing. We want the blessing of God in our home. And so in discipline, remind them that God loves them, that God will forgive them, and that God has a plan for their life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible word that we have in Deuteronomy 6, which reminds us, God, that you had a plan for the Israelites. So once they went into the promised land, that plan was for your people not to forget you. And so, God, I don't, I don't want my sons to forget you. I don't want their sons that I may or may not ever meet. I don't want them to forget you. I want them to know Grandpa's God. I want them to know great-grandpa's God. I want to pass you down. And so, God, in the effort to lead my family, in the effort to discipline well, may we not ever make it about us, even about them, but will we make it about restoring them to you and teaching them about you, God. Forgive me where I failed you in this many times. Forgive us where we have failed you in this many times. And God, for those that are here today, that may say, I, I don't have a relationship with Christ, but I'm interested. God, I pray for them as they consider you, as they consider not just passing you down, but they consider knowing you, that God, you'd speak and minister and reach their hearts, Jesus, this very day. Thank you, God, for this time, this time of worship, this time as we respond to you. In Jesus' name. Over the next few moments, I want to give you a few uh, minutes of space to respond to God. Some of you would say today, that's me. I'm, I'm not really in a relationship with Christ, but I'm, I'm interested. I'd invite you just to pray, just to say the simple words, God, I want to know you. And if that's you, we'd love to meet you and connect with you, even at starting point today. You can stop by starting point on the way out. Just let us know what God's doing in your life. For some of you, that is, God, I want to change my heart of discipline. And you have a few moments to think and to respond and into a, to enter into a new phase of what parenting looks like in your home. This also is a time where if you're a regular attendee here, this is a time where you can give a tithe, an offering to God. During this, the, the baskets will be passed around uh, to give and to respond to God in worship through giving. If you're a guest with us, please know, I think as was mentioned earlier, um, all we would like for you to do today is to let us know that you're here, to fill out either the app or the connection card. Um, certainly feel no pressure to give anything today. Thanks for being here if you are a first-time guest. Let's stand, and we're going to respond um, in song. Thank you.